0: Welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. We are on the final episode of the mini-series around addiction. I hope it's been helpful, and it sure isn't the end of the conversation. I have some other guests in mind for the future that I think will bring some more insight around the subject. But for today, my mom and I, retired marriage and family therapist Cheryl Douglas, will be in conversation Responding to a message that was left on the hotline. Thank you so much for your interaction and for reaching out to us to get a little bit more clarity around this big idea of, does addiction really start in the mind? So, we will first hear from the wonderful caller, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Enjoy.
1: Hi Jessie. Um, I've really enjoyed your mini series on addiction and there were just a couple of more thoughts I was having that I kinda wanted to get your opinions on. I really enjoyed hearing from your mom and Mike about their own experiences. And they're kind of with your mom's addiction addiction to sugar and Mike's to cigarette, it kind of brought up this thought that there's kind of two schools of thought with addiction. I mean, understandably so with drugs and alcohol, the The thought is that it's a lifelong journey to make sure you never get a taste of your addiction again, that you count days and that it's just something you're going to have to deal with all your life. Otherwise, it's going to be a spiral. And on the other hand of that is like food addiction or shopping addiction, where it's very emotional. And the goal isn't never to eat food or shop again, the goal is to have a healthy relationship with eating and shopping. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. And like, I know, when we talked about my anxiety, I believed that it was a lifelong thing that I was going to have to deal with. But after talking with you, and learning about the three principles that became more, that that was just a limiting thought that I was having. So just wondering like how thought plays into these kind of two ideas of addiction. I really enjoyed the series and I'm looking forward to more conversations with your mom. Have a great day, thank you, bye-bye. Hi, mom. I just- How's your person?
0: My person is good. good how's your how's your person? My person is
2: just moving right along.
0: Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. So we have this um wonderful caller to respond to. uh-huh um so let's jump right in. okay. I'm for it <laughs> so um. Firstly, I think what I want to comment on is that it sounds to me like she is getting to some clarity, even by the end of the question, when she says, I know in, in working with you, when I first came to you, I believed that I was going to be dealing with anxiety my entire life. That right. I was an anxious person, and that meant that would be something I was up against for my entire life. Yeah. And then I realized that that was something I was buying into. Right. That was a belief I was buying into that wasn't letting me see that there's a heck of a lot more possibility of me not being an anxious person for the rest of my life. Exactly. I think just repeating that back to her listening and to everybody listening to that question, there's some, there's some insight in there that's really powerful.
2: Well, the, the, the whole thing of letting go of that belief and looking at the freedom of being able to choose something that works better for her now.
0: Yes. So I think the mm-hmm. perfect bridge into answering her question in a deeper way connected to addiction um, is uh, you had mentioned this story from when you were working, at, you know, back in the days in it, with a school district, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and when you mentioned it, I thought, oh, that is a great example of, an old school of thought around addiction that I thought would be good for you to share. So it was the San Juan, what they had said about children of addicts. So go ahead.
2: Yes. And the first thing I want to say is um, <clears throat> it was a really wonderful part of my career. And it was the first really first job I had a <laughs> master's degree in collecting my license hours. So I worked with um, a really wonderful man, Mike Kerner. And there was four of us that worked. And so my job was to go around to the schools. I had 12 schools to talk about. uh, And I took students with me that had been uh, alcohol, and uh, drug addicts that had recovered, and so they had us. They had a class. They have classes together, um, and then they would evolve back into the mainstream. So they had a. They were um, supportive of each other. So I would take some young people who wanted to to share their experience out to these different twelve schools. That was my grant that I had. That. At that San Juan district had and then to run a couple of groups so that was my job and so one of the things back in those days one of the things that I um, that uh, we were taught and that addiction whether it was whether it was um what well, did matter what it was, but mostly it was drug and alcohol back then for, for the high school, that, uh, that it was a disease. And so, of course, over time for me, the word disease became dis ease. And so, uh, any disease we have becomes that we're not at ease. So it's dis-ease. But one of the things that it was, and there was a young man that I worked with and he came out of one of the rehabs. And I worked with him as more of a team to go in and talk about his ex- life experience and that. And it was really interesting uh, that he he talked about that he was a dry drunk before He actually took a, uh, I think he was 12. He called himself a dry drunk because his family, um, mother and father and other members of the family were alcoholics. So what is interesting for me is that when I got into private practice and people would come in for their uh, talking about what creates pain and so uh, and if they they had had alcoholism in their past. And so the different than what you're doing now is that I would talk with them and help them work out a part of themselves that were not into that disease model. And so, because I thought in in you're so much clearer about in what you're interested in and what I'm interested in now too. That in those days, the idea of all that thinking and believing and uh, you were so sunk into it back in those days that there was no way out. So you had to, like you talked about, that, that you had to run away from it all the time so you'd never be an alcoholic if your parents were or that you uh, became an alcoholic and then you had to find your way out of that. So, anyhow, I don't know if that answers the question. Is that enough? So, um, anyhow, that was my that was my experience it, it it's I there was a lot of trainings, and then for me, I evolved out of my out of those trainings and see if there also could be different ways of healing. Anyhow, but that was so, a, that was really ground into people's thoughts. And minds and how it was. And this is the way it was. And there was no question about it.
0: Yeah.
2: no, 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 no. There's other ways of of thinking about it and changing your behavior around that.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So you're talking right to what were what I what I was gonna th- thinking I was gonna need to pull out of you, but you've said you just straight up said it that what has kind of set off this level of confusion of being someone who is supposedly quote unquote predisposed to addiction versus someone who's just emotionally addicted, which is what, you know, the hotline question was, you know, what's the difference? Where does the role of thought even come into play?
2: Yes.
0: And, you know, and it's all been very innocent and trying to figure out how um, addicts could be helped the best, you know, it's all of that, all of that research and trying to figure that out. And, you know, you know, it's like in the old ways of working people through it, you know, there's at first that, you know, I'm sure there was a phase of let's just make them super terrified that this is something that's part of them forever so that they you know, just absolutely know that they can't touch it. You know, there's just, you know, there's all of these waves of trying to figure out how do we help people who are addicted? So a really common school of thought was just like the gentleman that was with you is if there is somebody in the family, especially someone close, like a parent, um, that, is an alcoholic that you are essentially born into that. Yes. There's no possibility for something different.
2: And that what it was interesting that might be, be interesting to talk with, because I don't know the new also back then was that evolved out of that, that they found the, on the chemical side of addiction, not only the psychological fears of getting into that, but the chemical side, you might be born with an allergy to the sugars, an allergy to what is in the um, the alcohol, so then that might be a sensitivity. But it doesn't have to be the whole thing. It's also the same thing about if you have a sensitivity to it, then you can learn about your chemical part of the addiction. You can understand about that, that you might have a sensitivity to it. But if the fears are constantly there, that'll certainly make you want to go and have a drink once in a while to get a, to get get your mind quiet away from all those fears. Yeah. So it goes back to that too, and how to put them together. But it goes back yeah. to the understanding of both and the cycle you get into.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and really, what's important to really highlight is. That no matter what, no matter where you are in the cycle, the seed that starts the whole process is some belief, whether it is, you know, you've caught on to the fact that you are um, inevitably going to be an addict because of a parent. And so now you are spending your life resisting that.
2: Right. Right. Right
0: Which that is exhausting, and that's a belief system that is holding you, you know, that typically we end up leaning into those behaviors.: Right, when we're trying to avoid becoming them. Right. Um, we're wanting a different state of mind, and we don't know that that a different state of mind is natural and is always right behind the one right. that we're in. You know, if we're in a crappy state of mind, a more, you know, right behind that experience is a different one. Exactly. It's not something that needs to be forced. Right. Um, and then something that like even Mike mentioned in the last episode, where you might have a belief that, um, you know, drinking or, or smoking or, or what have you, is what makes you feel accepted or part of something. Exactly. Yeah. So really when it comes down to, no matter if it's, you feel like you're emotionally addicted to something or physically addicted to something, both start from a seed of a belief that starts to, that that starts you out on that, on that, yeah. on that path. Yeah. When you
2: were talking about it before, about the seed, I was thinking of, where was my seed about food? And so I just remember when I was little, my mother was raised with four of her sisters and grandpa was up, uh, he had to go to Grey Eagle and he was a night. He was he's he was absolutely my father said that he was a beautiful cabinet maker. So he worked with Wood all the time. Well, when there wasn't enough uh business in Sacramento, then he had to find other work. And so in the summers he would go up and be a Grey Eagle and he'd work in the mill. And so then Grandma would drive Her, she and her four sisters, the five girls, would go up, and it would take two or three nights to get from Sacramento all the way up to Gray Eagle on a dirt road back in those days. My grandmother had so much courage, and she was deaf as a doornail. I mean, they they called it bone deaf in those days. But so, what mom would cook is always just enough. And so, because of her history, that sometimes it was not quite enough. But, you know, you try to hit the mark. And sometimes uh, it took her a long time to like leftovers because they never had any when she was a kid, right? And so I think that there was also, uh, she was very practical. There wasn't a lot of affection. She was very responsible to make sure she cooked what she knew how to cook and you know kept the house and she was a homemaker. and so then I think that what came from that is that there would never be enough. And so therefore, to me, I think that's also the seed of what kind of started my uh concern about food. and then with your sisters, that we I was single parent for so many years that we had those years in there. That when I was going to school and working and trying to be home by four o'clock, which was a feat in itself, that it that that it wasn't like we had a lot. So they knew what they could eat in the refrigerator and the rest was for dinner. Right? So eat everything on the right side. I don't care when or how you eat it. And then this piece up in here was so there was times in my life that we had we had enough. But it would have been nice to be, you know, to have more than enough sometimes, whatever that meant, of different things, you know. So I, that's really a seed for me of where it started at. There's never enough. That's my belief that there wasn't enough. Yes. So. Mm-hmm.
0: There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Yeah, Dad had a Dad had a very good job. Very good job. And we were well fed, but it was her idea that this is what we got. And so if food flourished for her when she was married to my dad. But from her seeds back in her life, if it wasn't for the neighbors for fruits and some for vegetables, and grandma with all the work that she did in the backyard to make it a vegetable garden. But if it wasn't for the neighbors back and forth that helped her grandma with the being a single mother really with grandpa gone so much just to find work that that's what helped have enough for the five girls. So
0: yes, yes. So it's amazing. So here she here she was with an abundant refrigerator and cabinets. Yes with right. being married to grandpa yes but it didn't matter because mm-hmm. what was going on in her mind was lack
2: right exactly
0: yes. so that that's
2: really important for me to get a hold of what my seed was
0: yes mm-hmm. yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know to bring it to um addiction um there was or of course we're talking about addiction, um, uh, alcohol. I heard a story from a fellow, uh, three principles teacher, and she had mentioned that she was working with a gentleman who had been sober for 20 plus years from alcohol, Uh continuing to go to AA because he really appreciated the support and the conversation around all of it. Right. But he had said to her, After being introduced to the three principles, he said how empowering that was because he really could recognize how the urge to drink um, truly was just him desperate for a different experience inside of himself. And so he had white knuckled it a little bit through the beginning of his sober sobriety, you know, through with AA and everything. But then once he discovered the three principles, he was able to feel more peaceful because just like you said, you would help people get to when you were working in, in as a therapist, you know, he started to realize, wait, maybe there's more options here. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Maybe that's not something that I have to label myself with. Maybe All it is, is that I was constantly looking for a more peaceful experience. And I associated that with drinking. Right. And now that I can see that I, I can have that peaceful experience without the alcohol. He said to the, this teacher, she, he said, you know, at the very beginning of AA meetings, you have to get up and say your name and say, I am an alcoholic. And then everybody says, hi, you know, Joe, you know. And he said, I don't really feel like calling myself an alcoholic anymore. That's fabulous. He said, I also don't feel like drinking. You know, he said, I don't, but it doesn't, it's not like I'm, I want to, I don't have any urge to even really See if I if I could handle having a beer and it not bothering me, he said it doesn't, that doesn't really occur to me because I've experienced such a really full, peaceful experience of life without it. And so it's it just doesn't seem necessary to even have a drink. But he said it also doesn't feel necessary for me to label myself an alcoholic anymore because. Frankly, I have been sober longer than I was an alcoholic and I just don't know if that feels right to even label myself that anymore because to me, it just looks like that was a behavior that I innocently thought was bringing me peace and that's just where I was in my level of consciousness back then and now I can see above it. And he said, what do you think about that to the teacher that I know? And she said, well, then you don't have to call yourself an alcoholic. You can just say your name.
2: <laughs> no labels.
0: No labels. No, talk
2: about freedom.
0: Yeah. Like if you want to be with your, go out with your friends for dinner and right. you order a drink, you don't have to say, oh, no, thanks. I'm an alcoholic. You can just say, no, yeah. thank you.
2: Yeah, exactly. Forget the. You don't have to say the label which puts you back in that situation again just the thought of being an alcoholic could set you back in the situation again that that it goes into the cycle again i have to i can't touch it i can't do all this kind of stuff which is probably wise to because you, but the biggest thing is changing the thoughts, so you don't give a darn about having another one yeah so exactly it's really, it's really interesting because galen When he was when he had all the sports stores up in Alaska, that it that was consuming to you know all the buying the building of it the all those things and so you know the the, of course he had two and then he had three and by the time it was done he had five and he said the only thing he could stop was to get to another altered state of peace and stop all the stuff going in his head about what he had to do the next day and what he hadn't done before. And that kind of thing was to smoke a joint. And so what what he found out was that after doing that for a while, this was, I don't know how old he was, 76 now, it must have been 40, 40 something years ago. That um, he said, Why can't I find this while smoking a joint? And just having sitting in a chair and being really quiet, and he did a lot of exercise, things like that, which you have to be in the moment, a lot of bike riding, that uh, he found that he could do that. And so then he had an option, and he was around a lot of people that spoke um you know marijuana and so then he then he said like they'd pass it around and I'd say no thank you and he said it's also the pressure of the group was what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to? And he said, no I just don't feel like it. And you know Galen. He marches to a different drummer. Yes. So um I always like the strength in him about that. So anyhow, so he just got, you know, just didn't fit for him to
0: have to use something to get there. Well, that was wisdom absolutely helping him, helping him kind of see, hey, you are thinking you, you are believing that you need this thing to right. be free of all of your stressful thinking. Right. And what if that's not true? Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Curious about maybe that's not true. Exactly. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And like you said, when we have, of course, pressures of people around us and also a um, kind of accepted story on a society level Mm -hmm. that, um, that if you, you know, if you are born into a family of alcoholism, that you are, you know, you're set up for that experience, then, of course, all of us would have a hard time with thinking that there's even any possibility around that idea. Because it's, yes. be- it's become a really, you know, it's become a very um, accepted belief. Yes right? You know, Thank and um, another three principles practitioner that I was kind of sharing with you before who has been um, a, uh, what is it called? A sponsor for 35 years for people in AA. And he's also been a teacher for um, Al-Anon's teens. And for anyone out there who doesn't know, Al-Anon is essentially Alcoholics Anonymous for family members who are related to alcoholics. Right. So they themselves haven't felt addicted, but they are related to people who are addicted. Right. And so this teacher of mine, uh, not of mine, a fellow teacher, um, he uh, was sharing with me how um, his, uh, one of his daughters He had actually started Al-Anon because his father was an alcoholic and Uh he felt like, um, you know, I think that some things started happening in his life where he realized he was repressing a lot of his emotions. And I think either it occurred to him naturally, or somebody had said to him, you might be interested in Al-Anon because I think you might be repressing your feelings because of being a, a child of an alcoholic. Yeah. So that became a really great lifeline for him cut to these days, he has a daughter who is in and out of rehab herself and didn't even have a relationship with his father, you know? Um, and I was talking to him the other day about this idea about, you know, this kind of accepted idea that, that alcoholism is a disease and, and I wanted to kind of hear his perspective on it. And, He said, you know, unfortunately, that is something that we all accept on us on, you know, on a um, bigger scale. I'm trying to think of like that idea of like when we all, you know, there's like one thought that we all buy into. There's like a, there's a, there's a word for that. But, but he said, no, he said, it's, you know, it's not. That, it, that isn't the truth. It is absolutely something where at one point it seemed like a good idea for the person to, to drink or to do the drugs. It seemed like a good idea. And they got the positive effect of that, of being pulled out of whatever crappy state of mind they were in, so of course they've got evidence for, ooh, that good idea was a good idea. Right. Because I feel I- better, I feel different. And he said he was talking about with his daughter, he said, you know, is I've had to do a lot of work on letting her go and have her own journey because she is somebody who absolutely believes that there is something wrong with her. That she was born this way, that um, it's impossible for her to uh, live life any different without this running her mind. And he said, "But as you can see, if that's all the all of the world that she's believing in in her mind, how in the world is she going to see any possibility beyond that?"
2: Well, that's a, that's what's profound. It's also profound that her father um, that her father uh, really sees the entrapment she's in. Yes, and uh, once in a while. I'll say to somebody that is really mindset in a certain way. And I'll say, maybe it'd be a nice idea for you to challenge those. That's it. That's it. And no expectations after that, but just, you know, that kind of thing. So that's just putting kind of a seed in there thinking, well, you know, maybe just the idea of a big curious. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've used that too. I've actually, I don't know if I've heard you say that, but I have that too of if somebody comes to me and something looks so real to them, yes, they go, Jesse, this is all such a nice idea. I can see it in these different ways, but in this one part, like, you know, frankly what comes up a lot with people is am i good enough or am i smart enough to do something different have a different career
2: right
0: that kind exactly. of thing yeah and man th- that that one will look to them like it is very real that there are a million people around them that have much you know more intricate educations and are much more qualified to do the job that they would love to do themselves And so they're looking at all that and going, Jesse, I mean, the evidence is pretty clear that, you know, here I am with, you know, a smaller amount of education that isn't even focused on the career that I'm wanting to go into. And Mm -hmm. there are people with twice the amount of education specific to that career. That looks pretty clear. Like I might not be enough for it. Mm -hmm. And, for me, that is just a giant brick wall that, that of course, if you believe that everything in you, you know, your wisdom is going, that's the thing that's going to make you happy. Go for it. And yes. your mind is going, there's, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Why would you even try? Right. And like that,
2: that keep them stuck.
0: Too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that same thing. You know, maybe I'll try a couple of different metaphors, a couple of different stories. And if I keep coming up against them, that's something I say is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to challenge that belief?
2: Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that's so you have a little more freedom from that. Those dad used to say, the only person that stops you is yourself. So I made a picture of a garbage can. When I was real young, made a picture of the garbage can and took the, took the top off the garbage in the old days, you know, those tin things or those metal things, and I'd stuck it on my head. <laughs> I couldn't stand up any further than what I pushing down on it. And uh, I don't even know if I ever told him. I want to tell you, one of the funniest things I ever, and he, he was so, he'd laugh at himself. And of course, you know the older you get, the more you know you don't know, right? Because there's such a world of information. So, uh, you know, you just get clear that you don't know everything. So he was in his job; he was a uh, he was an art teacher, then went to counselor, then went to uh, a district psychologist then special services director. So he stayed in the same, stayed in Placer uh, County School District for 37 years. And so then around 70, he decided he would retire. So he went up in the same system. So he would get all the counselors of all the schools in the district to come together and have meetings, right? Because he was ahead of them all. And he'd be up there and doing his talking and also getting them included in uh, discussing you know they all had a chance to have a say to discuss where they wanted it to go this big group where to go to go from the next steps because he was such a he was a big picture thinker and every once in a while he would he would get up in front of all of them and what was going on in his head he said they really don't know what the hell I'm talking about. They really don't know (laughs) that it might be. And I said, Dad, you've been doing this forever. And he said, yeah, but you know, those thoughts come along, doesn't matter how how long you've been doing something. Maybe I really don't know what I'm talking about after all. And then he laughed like a fool. And uh, I said, it's amazing where our thoughts go. I used to talk to him about that. Here he's been doing it forever, was very loved by the district, very respected. And then he said, I wonder if they know that I don't know anything of what I'm saying. Yeah. And it was just, was a joke onto himself. But, you know, just those thoughts that kind of go by. I wonder if I really know what I'm talking about. I wonder, if- yeah, <laughs> but for him it was funny. Of course, he knew what he was doing. He was so wonderful at what he did. That, um I mean, been in there for 37 years. He knew what he was doing step by step by step, you know. So anyhow, he'd laugh at himself.
0: What you kind know? of, what made that story pop up in your head?
2: Because it, I think it had to do with this, that even when you're in something for a long time, you know what to do you have your, you have ideas about how to make everything grow. And he really had an idea for leadership. If you don't grow yourself, then nothing, nothing can grow behind you. Nothing can, nothing can grow. You don't, that the, the leadership, if it's a company or whatever, as long as you're growing, that's where everything will grow up to. And if you stop, then that's where it'll grow up to that level. And so even when you know you've been doing this for years and years and years, you still have those thoughts that come by your head every once in a while. And he'd gotten that as an older age, how much to laugh at himself about those thoughts. So every once in a while, even when you know what you're doing, even though uh, you're comfortable in this new place, because he didn't know that's where he would go with, but he loved working with kids system, systematically. So he would like to change systems to address the high school students and the grad, you know, elementary school students. So he he always wanted to be an advocate for students, and so that was his belief system. So and he believed that he had to grow with every step of the way. So that then, uh, so it's just one of those things. It doesn't matter before you get into it. You feel inadequate, not sure you can do it. When you're into it for a while, you wonder, do I know everything that I need to know? Or then finally where he got to is that he just laughed at himself about, of course. So anyhow, before getting understanding those beliefs and also um, even they come by every once in a while, those thoughts just flow in and out every once in a while.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. If they only knew that I don't know what I don't know sometimes,
0: yes. Know? yes, 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 yes,
2: mm-hmm. so so yeah, how human
0: yeah, kind of brings it back around to just it's it all boils down to understanding that missing link of thought, right,
2: it's a big one
0: it's a big one, and mm-hmm. even if you do end up, feel, you know, feeling like you need to be conscious of, you know, the physical aspects of getting a physical hankering for, you know, a type of food or an alcohol or a drug, or, you know, if somebody starts to understand in themselves that, you know, one kind of drug might make them feel like they, they've got the itches and they need to start doing more drugs. And so they're conscious of that and go, you know what? If there is a different kind of drug I can take instead, I would rather, because it kind of gets, it kind of starts to rev me up. That's a wonderful thing to understand about yourself, to know about your physical body. Exactly. But the key under the key piece that needs to, that, that, you know, the more we talk about it, I think makes common sense for a lot of folks is really understanding that it always, always, always doesn't matter if it is turned into a physical addiction or if it's an emotional one. Um, It doesn't matter the subject, you know, because again, somebody who's coming off of alcoholism, they might find that they've, that they have physical, you know, withdrawals and they may not. Every single body is different. Right. But what's important to recognize is putting that space between who you truly are and the infinite possibilities that exist within that space. Mm-hmm. What is always possible. Right. That a change of heart is always possible. Yes. Um, there's always choices when you wake up to the beliefs in your head And if they don't, you know, if they're not helpful to you starting to recognize, maybe I can challenge this belief. Just like the caller said, she believed that she was going to be up against anxiety for the rest of her life, Right. essentially believing that that was a disease, that anxiety was a disease in her body that she was going to have to manage and be up against her entire life. Exactly. Second, that she woke up to the fact that that was a belief system that when she bought into it made her believe all of that and feel all of that pressure. But the second that she realized it was just a belief and maybe she didn't have to believe that anymore. And what would that look like? What would that feel like? Exactly. My goodness, it's a game changer.
2: Just bless her for for uh, just even bless her for the the courage it took to to do something different. Yes. And to explore it. That that's beautiful. And it is the thing is is that growth always is, you know, there's always the possibility of growth. And to me, growth means being more yourself, being more peaceful, and really understanding that our true selves are peaceful and kind and getting through that, all that stuff to get down to that. And then then you can get so many more answers about what you want to do without all that, all that old belief stuff.
0: Yeah.
2: And be more in the moment.
0: Yes, exactly. and I think because things like alcoholism and drug addiction come with, you know, once you have had them enough, come with, or or sugar addiction, because those come with a whole physical side effect, we have innocently as a collective mind believed that it had a heck of a lot more on it than just belief systems as the seed to the beginning of the whole thing.
2: Right, exactly.
0: And, and really it's still just the seed. Right. And when you wake up to the seed, you know, my goodness, then it's like Mike said last time, it becomes much easier to recognize, oh, there is possibility for me to have a different experience here for me to step away from this. Right. And I know it's going to be uncomfortable physically while I process it out of my body And then once I'm past that, um, at that point, it's just me recognizing when my mind is telling me that it's something that I need and me seeing that and going, Nope, that's just an old circuit in my mind. That's not something that I have Mm -hmm. to buy into.
2: Right. Exactly. But sometimes by the time we, we get it starts as a seed ends up a huge tree and (laughs) then, yeah and, and then the whole thing about understanding where it comes from is really helpful and then all the beliefs around it you know
0: exactly
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, well this feels pretty good do you have any last thoughts
2: no This just is tremendously insightful for your mother <laughs> yeah and clarity and the being able to share some of my experiences and, uh, and clarify them in this way of thinking, you know? Yeah. So.
0: That's awesome, mom.
2: Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, well,
0: thank you to our wonderful caller who called in with more, with yes. curiosity. I'm so grateful for her.
2: Yes. And I hope we, we hit the nail on the head as close as we could for what her question was.
0: Yes, I. Yeah, agree.
2: that's really that's really helpful to put in the conversation. You know. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, good. We'll wrap it up for today. Okay. Well, I love and you, too. Michael was wonderful last time,
2: and he's so darn clear. He's a but. Smart little sucker, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> no wonder you like him. I do. besides loving him, yes, yes. <laughs> I do too. I and I'm, know. I'm just part of the, of the, uh, cargo that you pull along with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, have ever we'll say um, thank you to everybody listening. Yes. And we will see them again soon.
2: Yes. Bless them.
0: Yes. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Mom.
2: Okay, honey. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to share with friends and family and give us a rate and review on iTunes so more folks find us in this little corner of the podcast world. And give me a call. The hotline is always open for questions and comments. The number is 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. Sending love in all directions, and I'll see you next week.